0: To have what we have. Lord, you've blessed us. You've blessed us with life. You've blessed us with health. You've blessed us with energy. Lord, you've given us families. We pray now, though, Lord, for those people, even in our midst, in our families that do not know you personally that do not have a saving relationship with you. And Lord, you know the hearts of those people. You know who they are and you know that they're even in our midst today. Lord, we lift them up to you. Lord, help them to recognize that without you, they would not be where they are today. Help them to see that without you, Lord, they could not function or do the things that they've become accustomed to do. We pray for peace for those people who are going through turmoil. We pray for those individuals who don't know where to turn or what to do. Lord, manifest yourself with your presence in those people's lives today. We thank you and praise you For Lord, we know that you are in our midst right now because we are praying and you hear these prayers. Minister to us with your word and we give you the thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I think there was a slight change in the program, but I believe there's nothing else pending. and I guess we can get started. So praise the Lord. Amen. Here we are. We're going to go ahead and get started. When I was very young, about 10 or 11 years old, I was asking myself questions about my life in general. Now, when you say age 10 or 11, it took me that long, right? Well, that might seem like a long time to start asking questions about life, but I really didn't realize, you know, really what was going on in my life until I turned about age (laughs) 7. Everything before that is a blur. Um, And I think that's the way it is for most people when 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 they live. I do remember some bookmarks tied to the events of that decade. So this will tell you what decade I'm referring to. Um, I barely remember uh, John F. Kennedy's funeral on our black and white television. Uh, But I had no idea what a funeral really meant, let alone who Kennedy was and how monumental that occasion was. I also do remember stories about the Vietnam War and the Civil Rights Movement, the Huff riots in Cleveland. Uh, You remember about the Watts riots in Los Angeles and the assassinations of Robert Kennedy and Martin Luther King, and the mounting calls to end the war and strive for peace. I also began to pay very close attention to music. I was mindful of the lyrics that epitomized the sounds of the streets and the moods of the people. Now, What's Going On by Marvin Gaye? War by Edwin Starr. And Give Peace a Chance by John Lennon. The mood of the late 60s and early 70s began to shape my understanding of the world that I was living in. I'm a black male, and I was more conscious of the discussion for equal rights and opportunities for blacks, but I was insulated from a lot of that because of my age you know, from my parents, and because I stayed close to home. It wasn't long before I started paying more attention to the environment where I was growing up. Now, I lived on a tree-lined street in a nice neighborhood, and I was able to see the birds and the flowers, the gardens and the parks all around where I lived in Cleveland and its suburbs. There were a lot of places where you could just go and play ball and just throw the ball around or toss a football in some green space. I was looking at these things and I started to wonder about where all of these things came from and also where I came from. Now, from the moment that you determine that there is something and even more specifically, someone who is responsible for life as you experience it, you are now beginning to exercise, beginning the exercise, pardon me, of learning about God, who he is, his presence, and his relevance to you. It may be a matter of asking one of these questions or all of them at one point or another. And this doesn't just start, this isn't just relegated to when you first started thinking about God. Let's face it, we're asking questions like this all the time today. This is nothing new. This is ongoing. You're asking these questions. The key to discovery in this amount of time and effort that you're taking to ask these questions, is to investigate the answers. Trust me, it's going to take a lot of time and effort to investigate the very answers. The answers to these questions we have about God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. Questions and how we answer them. How do we begin to answer such questions? Well, I'm here to tell you there is no predetermined way to do this. Amen? There's no uh, blueprint or way of doing something like this. When a student asks a teacher a question in a classroom, the student has an expectation that there's an answer. When I ask my mother for something, my mom would sometimes reply, ask your father. When sometimes I would ask my father for a question, And he would say, ask your mother. And then you just go into a big loop after that. It just keeps going back and forth. (laughs) I realize that there are times when I have a question about something, but there is no direct or immediate answer. Amen? Sometimes there's no immediate answer. Sometimes you just have to wait and find out. This is also how it is when it comes to asking questions about God. Sometimes there's no immediate answer. We have the ability to ask many questions about Him, but we also need to realize that there are times when there's no straight answer. Now, my personal questions about God initially involved His presence. That was within the first phase of questions. If you're asking questions, why are there birds in the air? Why is there grass? Why are there trees? Why is there a sky? The first thing you're wondering about is, how did that stuff get there? So you're asking questions about his presence, who he is. It was not until much later that I started asking questions about his presence presence, as that related to me. This is what a person contemplates at the very moment when they're considering a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not that God exists. Now it's how is God existing and what does that have to do with me? Amen? You're personalizing it. It's now about a reflection and repentance from sin and the need for a savior. The questions about God don't end there, though. They are only just beginning. In order for you to recognize that God is Lord and Savior, you have to come to some conclusions about how you get to that point. Amen? First, let's be clear about something. As we noted earlier, there are no direct or immediate answers as we seek God. Yes, we do have the Bible. We do have the Word to read but we're still learning about the Bible even today. Amen? We're still reading it and understanding it. And frankly, a lot of the things that we have when it comes to God have to do with faith. Because there's no immediate answer to those questions. It has everything to do with faith. Even as we seek Him, we will never get a complete picture of God. That's the desire. To have a complete picture of Him. But we're never going to see that. Why? As we frame our questions about him, we need to see God in a completely different way than we see ourselves. The thing that we have to pay attention to here is that we may have our own impression of who God is. And even non-believers have an impression, but it's based upon what? Their own reference point. They only can relate to God based upon who they see God to be, based upon their own framework, thinking, way of thinking, way of processing information. But the real step that we have to take is going beyond that. We have to go beyond how we see God and now put it on what God says about himself and try to understand it from that standpoint. We need to see God in a completely different way than how we see ourselves. When we do this, We begin to see God as a God who deserves our reverence. Amen? Deserves our reverence, our worship, and our praise. He's more than just a God. And there's a lot of gods out there. Amen? There's a lot of gods out there that can't live and breathe, but we make them gods on our own. But God Himself is not just a God. He is the God of the universe the God of the universe. So, here are four different attributes about God that bear our consideration. Number one, and feel free to write these down, God is infinite and self-existent. God is infinite and self-existent. Now, that sentence alone should give you pause. It's one thing to be infinite and because we were created by God, we are now infinite beings as well. But we're not self-existent. Let me explain. When we use the word infinite about God, it means that there are no boundaries about Him. He is without any limits. When it comes to our lives, everything that we're involved in has some sort of limit. We have to use measurements to build things. Amen? We have to use, you've got to use a a trapezoid, you've got to use a ruler, you've got to use a a slide rule. There are all kinds of things we use to measure things in order to make sure that they're built properly. We have to use measurements. We have to use numbers to calculate math problems. But there's no number for infinity. Amen? It's just a symbol. Infinity. Infinity. No number for it. It cannot be measured. God in this way cannot be measured. In addition to his infinitude, God is self-existent. He is a God without origin. That blows me away. No origin. As each of us has a beginning along with everything else that was created on this world, it's hard for us to conceptualize God. A.W. Tozer referred to God as the uncreated one. The uncreated one. If you think about it, anything that is or ever was created must have a creator. Everything that was made must have a creator. God is the only one who is self-existent, namely without creator. That's mind-blowing, if you really think about it. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians 8. We're going to look at verses 5 and 6 in 1 Corinthians 8. I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Please follow along in your version. It says, starting with verse 5 in 1 Corinthians 8, For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father. All things are from Him, and we exist for Him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, all things are through Him, and we exist through Him. Now notice how I've mentioned both God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ in the same framework. All things were created through Him. And if you refer back to John chapter 1, all things were created by Him, and that's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, the very Lord that we worship and praise each and every day. Amen? Amen? He is our creator. All things exist through him. As we learn more about Jesus Christ, we discover that he is at one with the Father as the infinite uncreated one. And there's a distinction obviously between Jesus Christ the risen Lord, the Lord that existed at the beginning of the world, and the baby Jesus just coming in a different form as that sacrifice for us. But he's always been in existence. Amen? Point number two. God is sovereign. A lot of people have trouble with this sovereignty thing. God is sovereign, but it doesn't change who He is. He is sovereign. This means that God is all-knowing and is free to act as He directs at any moment in order to fulfill His will and purpose. God is sovereign. With all the things that have occurred throughout time and space, this is a significant attribute of God. How does God manage this world? Have you ever thought about that? How does God manage this world? He's sovereign. There's Everything that is occurring throughout this world is not strange to Him. He is involved in all aspects of it. That alone is something that you as a human being or myself as a human being... You can't conceptualize that. But yet he is sovereign. Go to Daniel chapter four. Daniel chapter four. We'll look at verse seventeen. Now understand something too. When we say that he oversees this stuff, he's not random about it. You know how stuff random things happen in your life, you don't understand why they happen. There's nothing random about God. Amen. He does not act in a random manner. Everything that happens ultimately fulfills a will and purpose that he has. It says in verse 17 of Daniel chapter 4, This word is by decree of the observers. The matter is a command from the holy ones. This is so the living will know that the Most High is ruler over the kingdom of men. He gives it to anyone he wants and sets the lowliest of men over it. Everything that happens, even the authorities, it's all because God allows it, decrees it, Wants it, has it in place. You know our political climate today. And you know what's going on today. Well, it's not strange to God. The things that are going to happen are going to happen according to His will and purpose. That may be tough for some people to understand. But that's exactly true. In the book, The Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer noted that God's sovereignty raises two additional questions or problems from our perspective. One of those is the presence of evil, pain, and death, which come from the presence of Satan. And the other is the free will of man. As far as sin is concerned, Tozer noted that God in his sovereign wisdom has permitted evil to exist in carefully restricted areas of his creation. A kind of fugitive outlaw whose activities are temporary and limited in scope. One of the things we have to remember about the world we live in, it's temporary. The stuff that we're going through is a temporary situation. When you're going through depression or difficulty or there's struggles in your family, it's temporary. It's not permanent. Do we want to endure those types of things? Absolutely not. Who wants to go through pain and difficulty? Amen? I don't see anybody raising their hands over something like that. Does anybody want to go through any of that? No, nobody wants to go through that. But God allows it. And that's why I said earlier it's tough for people to understand God's sovereignty because he does allow those things. But notice what it says. It says he does it in carefully restricted areas of his creation, like a fugitive outlaw whose activities are temporary and limited in scope. In doing this, God has acted according to his infinite wisdom and goodness. And how can that be? It's all part of his plan. It's all part of His will. Do you realize that He allows pain and difficulty in people's lives for the sole purpose of them getting saved? Because that's what He wants. And maybe even not those people getting saved, but other people on the periphery who observe what's going on and letting them think more about the Lord and them getting saved. We will never understand what that really means while we're still here on earth. But yet, it happens. Amen? It happens. It's happened in our lives. It's happened to all of us. God allows things to happen. It's a great mystery, but the ultimate purpose is for people to get saved. In spite of sin and evil, God remains in control over all of it because He's all-knowing. In other words, He allows it, but He's still in control of it. Satan is not in control of anything. Amen? Amen? Satan is not in control of anything. God allows Satan to do what he does, but God is the one who's controlling it. God controlled what Satan could do to Job. And Satan could not cross that boundary. That should give you some comfort, even in the midst of difficulty, that God knows what you can bear. God knows what you can endure. God knows what you can put up with. But now, God also challenges you to not respond in the flesh. You still have that challenge to not respond in kind in a fleshly manner. He is teaching you even in your moments of difficulty. You are being taught daily. Let's start with that. You're being taught daily by the Lord. Amen? Sometimes, though, we don't go to class. Amen? Sometimes we skip class. Yeah, man, I, I, I got. Yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna go today. And you wind up doing something else. You are being taught every day, but you have to go to class every day. Amen, amen. A lot of people miss blessings because they don't go to class. A lot of people miss when God is blessing them or giving them something to hang on to or giving them something to help them to endure a situation. They miss it because they don't go to class. When you skip classes, you're only hurting yourself. You remember anybody saying like that? When you skip classes in school, you're only hurting yourself. That's so true. You hurt yourself. Not hurting anybody else. Because God is going to teach you whether you go to class or not. He's still going to be teaching you. He has a will and a purpose for you. He will keep teaching you until you can't be taught anymore. And that's when you're no longer here. Satan declared that he wanted to be like the Most High You read that in Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14. But He cannot be the Most High because He cannot be God. There is only one God. Go to Isaiah 43 real quick. Isaiah chapter 43. Let's look at verses 10 and 11. It says, You are my witnesses. This is the Lord's declaration. And my servant who I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He, no God was formed before me, and there will be none after me. I, I am Yahweh, and there is no other Savior but me. No other God, no other Savior. You get that? One of the ways that we are in school is by reading God's Word and believing it to be true. That's the faith that comes in. As far as man's free will is concerned, Tozer, referring back to him, noted that a God who is less than sovereign would have difficulty with providing man with freedom to make choices. If he was less than a sovereign God, we wouldn't even be able to choose anything. he would be restricted in his ability and as a result, he could not be God. If God is restricted in any way, is he God? No. That changes everything, doesn't it? This is why we're having this discussion about God, who he is, the God that we serve. He's not limited. Amen? Third point. Here's a good one. God is holy. Amen? God is holy. In order to begin the nature of God's holiness, we have to look at the nature and character of God. When we compare our acts of human nature to the need to have Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, That is merely just the beginning of searching the depths of God's holiness and power over sin and death. When we first make a declaration that we need a Lord and Savior, we're just beginning to understand what that means. Do you get that? You're just beginning to understand that. You've been told and taught that, yes, Jesus Christ is Savior. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He shed his blood as a penalty for our sin. When you acknowledge that you need the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? You're just beginning to learn about that. All he wants you to do is trust and believe in him. That's all he requires. But the learning continues. You're just learning about that. It's only beginning. And you're still learning about it today. Scripture captures the magnitude of it, albeit immeasurable by human abilities of God's holiness. That's the thing. Scripture just gives us now a clue as to what we talk about when we talk about God's holiness. One verse I want you to look at is Psalm 96. Turn to Psalm 96. God is holy. And understand something, too. God's holiness is no comparison to what we consider righteousness or goodness, anything that we do. There's no comparison. We're, we are in the flesh. God doesn't have the flesh to do deal with. We have to deal with flesh. Our good works are basically meaningless when you compare them to God's holiness. Amen. Our good works don't get us to heaven. Amen. The good things that we do. We are kind to everyone. We give money to charity. We give to the food bank. We give to this. We give to that. It's meaningless. Solomon said it's meaningless. If you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, it's meaningless. It doesn't mean a thing. It's good stuff for the other people. But it doesn't do one iota in developing your relationship with the Lord, unless you have Jesus Christ. And like we said in Sunday school, someone said in Sunday school this morning, you can't buy that. You can't pay for that. You can't earn that. Psalm 96, 9. The English Standard Version says, Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. When you look at the Lord's holiness, do you tremble? Do you wonder? Are you amazed? Remember we talked about His sovereignty? How He manages everything? How does He do that? Do you really worship Him and understand what that is? Go to 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. I saw a few people doing this yawning thing here. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Now, it's early, okay? So maybe y'all didn't get a good night's sleep last night. I don't know. And I, I would hope that this is not boring to you anyway. I mean, do I have to tap dance to get you up a little bit or something? No, Because no? I'm not going to. My wife would kill me if I did that. So we won't do that. Amen, see? Yeah. So that get you up. Okay? I'll make sure you're up. First Samuel 2.2. 2. Everybody have it in front of them? Say amen. Yeah. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. I hope by reading these verses and looking at this, I want you to think about, and I'm hoping that you're thinking about, your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's ongoing development because you absolutely need to get these points about who God is that you're serving. You absolutely have to get this. This is important in sustaining you and your ongoing development of your faith in Jesus Christ. You need to understand these points to understand who it is you're worshiping, His nature, His character. His unchanging love for you. All of these things you need to recognize. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Isaiah reflects the understanding of the disparity of God's holiness and mankind. When God calls him into service as he sees the ultimate vision. Go to Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to go through verses 1 through 8. And I want you to put yourself in Isaiah's place as we read this. Put yourself in Isaiah's place. Remember, Isaiah is just a man just like the men in this room and the women in this room. He's a human being. And we look at these people in the Bible as being special people. No, they're all human beings. They're all human beings just like you and me. They are not different from any of us. They were all created beings just like we are. Amen? All human beings. But I want you to see what Isaiah does and what he says when he sees God's holiness. Verse 1. This is the Holman version, and please follow along in yours. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and His robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above Him. Each one had six wings. With two He covered His face, and with two He covered His feet, and with two He flew. And one called to another, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth the foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices and the temple was filled with smoke stop right there can you imagine the sight of that and the sounds of that remember i said put yourself in the place of isaiah the sights and the sounds had to be unlike anything you've ever heard or experienced in your life. And sometimes God will give you moments like that for you to truly recognize who He is. Absolutely will do that. Now, here's Isaiah speaking. Then I said, woe is me. Because I bet you, you say the same thing. If you're faced with God's holiness right before your eyes, you will definitely say, woe is me. Because you know you can't stand up to that. You can't handle it. For I am ruined because I am... And you realize how unholy you are. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongues. He touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your wickedness is removed, and your sin is atoned for. The moment you declared the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, that seraphim touched your lips with that coal. Your sins were covered past, present, and future. You can now fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ because you recognized you needed a Savior. Savior. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, "That's He's not done with you. He's not done with you. Once you get saved, He's not done with you. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who should I send? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am. Send me. You recognize what God has done for you and you will do anything to serve Him. Because you recognize the state that you were in before he saved you. And now that he has saved you and you've seen him work miraculously in your life. You will glorify him in everything that you do. That's the most important thing to you. Now, do you feel that way? Do you live that way? Do you understand what that is in how you live your life each day? That's what I want you to see in this. Tozer noted, holy is the way God is. To be holy, He does not conform to a standard. He is that standard. You get that? He is that standard. Furthermore, He said, God is holy and He has made holiness the moral condition necessary to the health of His universe. Sin's temporary presence in the world only accents this. His desire is for each of us to strive to attain holiness as we grow in our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We are holy because we strive to be holy and He makes us holy with this relationship we have with Him. We can't do anything on our own for this holiness. We can only strive for it. We got to work at it, amen. That's a it's every, that's an everyday chore to be holy before Him, amen. Go to First Peter chapter one, First Peter one, and we're going to look at verses fifteen and sixteen. 1 Peter 1, verses 15 and 16. A couple of verses that talk about holiness, his holiness. If you have 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, say amen. 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 But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. In all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. You're getting God's standard on how to live. And understand something, this is not just when times are good. Amen? You know, we, we remember those markers in our lives when things were going really well, but we also have a lot of markers in our life when things were just not going well at all. Amen? 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 We have a lot of markers in our lives when stuff is not going well. But the challenge is still the same. You still have to raise your standards sometimes when other people around you have very low standards you may have to raise your standards. You want to go above the fray. You want to live in a holy manner. You don't want to be down in the gutter. You want to be up here where you're raising your hands and praising the Lord. Amen? That's what you have to do. When things are tough, being holy because the Lord calls you to be holy, is a challenge. But you know what? You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. When the flesh is out of the way, you can do anything. Amen? The flesh will let you do whatever. You get in the gutter with somebody. Go to Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19, verse 2. This is a nice verse. So a pastor, Pastor Gus or Pastor Travis, gives you this verse. It says, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's the standard that you have to go for. That's what you need to pursue. Because God is Holy. We can only achieve holiness with the blood of Christ that covers our sins and through our faith in Jesus Christ. Our holiness is derived from how God sees us in His love for us through Jesus. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to live in such a way that we are honoring Him. Amen? Guess what? That's part of your ongoing development. Remember those questions you're asking? This is how you keep asking those questions. Lord, how can I live in a holy way for you today? You know what I have to go through right now. I've got to go to court. I've got to go do this. I've got to go do that. Lord, help me find a way to live holy for you and glorify you. Amen? You sure? Amen. 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 It is easy to say, and I recognize it's difficult to do, but you know what? God will enable you to live in this way. You on your own will never, ever be able to achieve it. Fair comment? You will never be able to achieve it on your own. You've got to allow the Spirit to work. You've got to allow the Spirit to lead in your life. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. That's from 1 John 1, 7. Fourth and final point. God is love. Amen. It's kind of futile to be worshiping a God who is not a God of love. Amen? God is love. Worshipping a God who is not love, I'm not quite sure how that would work. Because that would mean He wouldn't care about you. You'd be wasting your effort. God's love for us is far beyond how humans see love. Amen? It is an attribute of God in the same way that He is infinite, sovereign, and holy it defines him and his actions for mankind because of the desire to not see anyone perish. He doesn't want to see that. He wants everyone he created to not perish, but have fellowship with him. And of course we find that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, and 2 Peter 3, 9. Those are great verses for you to remember. He doesn't want to see anyone perish. So you never, ever, ever stop praying for someone who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. You pray and you pray and you pray that that person comes to a saving knowledge. Amen? Amen. Never stop praying. Because God has never stopped trying to reach that person. Never stopped. So you don't stop praying for that person too. Hey, even if it's a deathbed confession, guess what? He made it in. Amen? You never stop praying. And we've had a lot of deathbed confessions. And sometimes that, what that means is it takes that person's entire life to figure out they know and need to know Jesus Christ. Because we are a stubborn, stiff-necked people. And when everything else is broken away and everything else is put to the side, all you have left is you and the Lord, that's when they make the decision. And that's part of his plan. Look, it doesn't matter, just like in football, if it's a one-point win, it's a win. If it's a 40-point win, it's still a win. It only counts as one win. Those deathbed confessions are one-point wins. I wouldn't want to be a one-point loss. Amen? We can only begin to describe His love because it is barely comprehensible even the angels marvel at how god is carrying out his salvation for his people that's in 1 peter 1:12 you can look at that on your own but even the angels marvel at what god has done for us and remember the angels were created too just like we were they're just a different standard he chose us in him before the foundation of the world is that amazing Before the very foundation of this world, He chose us to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for Himself, according to His favor and will, to the praise of His glorious grace that He favored us with in the Beloved. That's from Ephesians 1, verses 4-6. through We must rely upon the words of John to best describe the sacrificial love and grace of God for each of us. He gives us the foundation of how we are to love others through his love for us. Are you compelled to love other people because Christ loved you? I heard one amen to that. Now look, I understand something. People make it hard to love. Sometimes it's hard to love folks sometimes. Amen? Amen. Yeah, now, see, now I, now I hear all the amens to that. There, no, no dissension there. Everyone agrees. Some people make it hard to love them. But that doesn't change how God loved you. Because I promise you, you were pretty hard to love at one point yourself. Amen? I know y'all don't want to hear that. You know, y'all.
1: I'm always lovable.
0: Everybody loves me. No, they don't. Everybody doesn't always love you. It's all in your perspective, amen. Turn to first <laughs> John chapter four. You weren't always lovable. But God loved you anyway, even when you were not lovable. That's the thing we have to take away from this here. We have to take out the human element of understanding what love is and understand God's element of how He loves you. He loves you because He recognized you needed a Savior. Amen? 1 John 4, verses 7 through 12. I'm going to rifle through those real quick. Reading from the Holman Christian Center Bible. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. That's pretty important. If you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you understand what that love is. At least you get that part of it. But now you've got to transcend it a little bit. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed amongst us in this way. God sent His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Love consists in this, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also must love one another. No one has ever seen God if we love one another, God remains in us and His love is perfected in us. One of the most profound verses about God's love for us. And of course, Jesus Christ is right there in the midst of it. With these attributes, we can only begin to see the nature of God and character of God but we've got to see him this is what allows you as a believer to transcend from just somebody who's just going through the motions in life and saying well yes i need to go do this i need to go do that that's no way to live jesus christ should be the one who compels you to live the way that you do because you love him not from a standpoint that you're doing it out of duty You're doing it because you love Him. And you know that He loves you. Just like you do things for a family member to help out. You love Him. You care about Him. You want to do it. Now, why can't you take that and transcend that into God's will for everything? That's how we need to look at it. As we focus on who He is, We're going to learn more and more about Him as we bask in the glory of His presence and the power of knowledge through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit gives us knowledge. The Spirit gives us wisdom. The Spirit gives us discernment. The Spirit gives us all these things to help us live in such a way where we are truly serving the Lord Jesus Christ and not expecting anything in return. Amen? We can live a lifetime and still learn more about Him. But we will readily praise Him and glorify Him for who He is. He is the great I Am. He's the great I. Go to Romans eleven thirty three through thirty six and we'll close out. Romans eleven thirty three through thirty six God is holy. God is sovereign. God is love. God is self-existent. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and untraceable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or who has ever first given to Him and has to be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Father, we thank You for how You have loved us before we Loved you and even loved ourselves. We thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you for reminding.